there's a difference from working out and a difference from uh, training, right? Maybe on face value, you can probably already see those differences. Training comes with an intent. Training comes with, here's our goal that's in mind and we're trying to reach that goal. Here's our logical step to that goal. Workout is more of, maybe this is me being nitpicky too, but workout is more of, all right, let's just put something together and let's just do something today. And then tomorrow we're going to do the same thing. And then the day after we're going to do the same thing. Right. So it's just a lot of randomized stuff. And a lot of, a lot of times I like to say that just random workouts create random results and that's not what we're looking for. Right. Good morning and welcome everybody to the kitchen table. In this podcast, we sit down with leaders from across the country to have real and honest conversations around all things leadership. We call it the kitchen table because we know some of the best conversations at the firehouse take place at the kitchen table. And the goal of the podcast today is to focus at kitchen table energy and a talking leadership. And today we have Manny Romero, occupational health coordinator for the Seattle Fire Department. Good morning, Manny. How are you today? Hey, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, first of all, thank you for joining us. Uh, we have not yet had anyone come on the kitchen table from the occupational health side, the physical prep side. Uh, we've had multiple guest speakers that come talk, you know, mental wellness. So I'm very excited to see, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of what Seattle Fire, what they're doing and uh, kind of what your what kind of work uh, that you do. So, you know, before we get started today, um, tell us a little bit about Manny Romero. You know, where did uh, I understand you're fairly new at Seattle Fire and tell us mm-hmm. about your journey in your background and how it is you ended up at Seattle Fire Department. Yeah. Well, first off, thanks for thinking of me. Um, I know you haven't had a occupational health or a health and fitness individual on here. So I'm glad I got to be the first one to uh, come to your podcast and, and speak on this topic. A little bit about me. Uh, I'm from San Diego. Um, that's kind of where I'm born and raised. Uh, my background is exercise science and kinesiology, more specifically strength and conditioning kind of been in the field for roughly nine years now. About five or six years ago is when I started getting into what we call uh, tactical strength and conditioning. And so uh, I started uh, that that transition working with the Navy. Um, and then I moved up to Washington, started working with the Army with their holistic health and fitness program. And uh, fortunately, enough, fortunately enough, got to uh, apply to this position and, you know, get brought in to be the health and fitness coordinator for Seattle fire. Awesome. And, uh, I, I guess I should, uh, fill in the blanks a little bit. So we do this leadership challenge every episode and, um, we had uh, chief Scoggins on here. We've had actually Aaron fields on here. We've had John Goins. And, uh, I was talking to, uh, it was chief Scoggins just the other day. And he was mentioning, Hey, you got to talk to Manny Romero about this recruit prep program, which I'm sure we're going to talk, you know, in depth about, we had captain, right. I'm, I'm sure BC Goins now on here. And the funny thing is he said the exact same thing. We were, we were talking about the recruit Academy and we were talking about, you know, setting up, you know, people for success earlier in the career. And again, he also said, Hey, you got to get in touch with Manny. So uh, I guess that's here we are. So thank you, uh, Chief Scoggins. And thank you, uh, Chief Goins for making this connection. So I guess I'll start off with this. Like you're the, um, like you said, the occupational and physical um, health and fitness, if you will, coordinator for the department. Um, But as we talk about, you know, occupational health, fitness in the fire service, talk a little bit about how it is that you, you know, you came to Seattle fire, your journey, and kind of your experiences. I understand you've been there about a year or so ago now. So tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about your position and um, anything you'd like to share about it. Yeah. Um, 
I'll say that the position actually opened, I remember seeing it opening up around 2018. Uh, right around that time, I was just starting grad school. Um, when I started grad school, I kind of came in with the mindset of, and I don't know exactly why, but I came in with the mindset of, I want to start studying firefighter health and wellness and see how I can kind of move my career into that, into that direction. But again, I saw that position, this position had opened in 2018. I saw it was open. I applied knowing that I probably wouldn't even get, you know, an interview, but I thought that it was unique that a position was out there and it existed. You know, I thought I'd probably have to create a role with a department that's, that was local, um, to, you know, to where I lived or just somewhere out in the nation. And in between that time going through grad school, I was uh, working with the Navy as a strength coach, did a graduate internship with Denver Fire Department. Denver Fire Department has a health and wellness, a small health and wellness program which is mostly a physical therapy clinic at their uh, fire academy. So I got a chance to um, intern there for a bit. And then uh, after grad school, fast forward a couple more years, I managed to uh, move up to Washington State as a strength conditioning contractor for the Army. And that was for their holistic health and fitness program, H2F program. After about a year of doing that, I managed to uh, find that this job, Seattle Fire Department's occupational health coordinator job had opened again. And, you know, having a little more experience under my belt, having a little more of a, a knowledge base for firefighter health and wellness, I felt, you know, maybe this is the right time. And then I went ahead and applied and I was fortunate enough that um, I was offered the position. That's interesting. I didn't know that you had worked, you know, uh, with, with the military before. So I guess before we dive right into, you know, the recruit prep and fire prep, the stuff that I want to talk about in your early experience, you know, with the fire service, what, what are you, what are you, what are the differences? Like, uh, as far as from the occupational health side or the physical prep side of it, I, I, how, you know, we, you've heard people talk about, you know, the fire service is very paramilitary as far as physicality from that standpoint, not, not the job itself, but obviously the physicality point of things, the, the physical wellness side of things similar military fire service in your, in your, in your eyes? Yeah, there's a lot of similarities, although the nuances is where the big differences come from, right? Similar to the fire service, the military also has, you know, their culture and the way things are done. They also have health issues, right? Like, um, you know, obesity, nutrition, uh, wellness issues like sleep, occupational stress, right? And then the phys uh, the physical or performance issues that are, you know, uh, injury prevention type of things, uh, or sorry, the physical and performance issues like injuries, people not probably not being physically as strong as they need to be to do things. Um, or maybe they're just training too much and there needs to be a, a, a protocol in place or some type of procedure in place to manage stress management. Yeah, uh, so a lot of, lots of similarities, but uh, yeah, the nuances, the, yeah. the individual details is where the changes or the differences are at. Yeah. That's funny you mentioned uh nutrition and stress management is that in your work or at least in what you expect to see in your position at in the fire in the fire department is that also something in your job description if you will to do the nutritional and stress management piece or is it literally just a physical aspect of things uh well even if it were i'm not a registered dietitian so there's only so much i can do yeah uh, the, the what i could do is just provide just generic uh generalized information I guess generalized probably be incorrect, maybe somewhat specific, but it's still kind of on a surface level yeah. uh, basis. Uh, what I couldn't do is go into the nitty gritty and, and, you know, start assigning meal plans and start helping firefighters right. and t uh, tell them, Hey, you should be doing this. You should be doing that account right. for this account for that. Yeah. Um, so 
Yes, in a way, I'd like to uh, provide some level of education on that, yeah. um, and maybe even influence how we do recovery and rehab at fire scenes. Uh, I guess the question I have on that is, uh, as you know, I mean, firefighters are sometimes we a little, you know, a stubborn bunch, if you will. Um, how responsive? No. Yeah, no, not us, right? It may, no. may, maybe just my department, or you know, not Seattle Fire. No, um, definitely but, not. Yeah, I, I guess how responsive are because like my department, we don't have an occupational health and wellness coordinator or health and fitness coordinator, if you will. I mean, I imagine if we had one, that'd be awesome. But I also understand too, that, you know, the, the us bunch, we, you know, we like to do our way thing, you know, like, Oh, I know how to work out. I know how to do this. I know recovery. I know stress mm-hmm. management. I know mental wellness. Um, there, there's a side of us just inherently right, wrong or indifferent. We like to do things our way. How responsive are, you know, the ops personnel at Seattle fire with, you know, having an outside, not an outside expert, obviously you're an inside expert, but having an in-department person that kind of has a go-to, like you are a go-to person. Would you, would you say that's accurate? And do, do you see that your uh, people are very receptive to you in your position? So I'll say for responsiveness, it's similar to what I've seen with Denver and similar to what I've seen with the military. You got a third that are responsive because they understand um, you know, kind of depends on who you're talking to. You have a third who are open to it because yeah, you know, internally they have some questions and they want to figure out some more, but they're just not sure if you're somebody they can ask. And then you have the third that's like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. So, so, that, so it is everywhere. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's still, yeah. that's still everywhere. Um, yeah. but what I'll say what helps out tremendously is, you know, if you have a dedicated civilian like myself yeah. in the fire department, what helps is, me personally, I try to integrate with the crews as much as possible. Meaning yeah. if I can do a ride along and hang out with the whole, the crew for the whole 24 hours, yeah. ask them questions, ask them about their job, you know, listen more than I talk really, you know, the mm-hmm. whole seek, seek to understand before being understood yeah. thing. Absolutely. Um, you know, when I'm ever, when I'm doing the, re- the recruit prep, fire prep uh, sessions, I'll sometimes throw on my set of bunkers and, and do the drills and go through things and start, you know, talking to the instructors and understanding like, all right, what do you feel when, you know, you throw a ladder? How does yeah. the shoulder feel? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, start giving my tips and tricks that, yeah. you know, kind of make sense. And so the rationale for me to do all that is to start building that level of rapport and trust that, um, one. Yeah, you've been there. You, you see, you've been in the uniform. You've seen the movements. You've done the movements. Mm-hmm. It's not just necessarily an outside perspective, but you're, you've done it. You've seen from the, you know, the mobility side of things, you've done it from the, you know, the physicality side of things you've experienced it. So I like that. That's good. And when you say the thirds, one third, one third, one third, I mean, I guess that's kind of kind of everywhere too, right? No matter the topic, no matter, but I think if, if you're talking about reaching one third, I think that's, that's still huge, right? If you have a department of a thousand people say, but you're still reaching 300 people. So that's, that's still good. And that's, that's a huge benefit. So that's awesome. So, um, I want to talk about this recruit crew prep because this is a, this is such a huge piece. This mm-hmm. is a lot of, you know, kind of the reason we're here today with this, uh, with this leadership conversation, the Seattle fire department has done this recruit prep and even we'll touch on fire prep as well. And to, to, to how would I understand? First of all, thank you for, for having me over at Seattle fire just last week, or a couple weeks ago at the JTF, it was eye opening experience. It just, from the first 10 minutes, me being there, I was like, I can't believe we aren't doing this everywhere. Like it just seems, so I'm going to let you just run with it, but yeah. I love this recruit prep and uh, I will just preface it with this, the listeners, like this is, we're talking about preparing the future firefighters of, of your organization specifically, just mm-hmm. preparing them to be more successful in the Academy, but also throughout the early stages of their career. So let's start with uh, recruit prep. What is it? And uh, 
and how did it come about? Let's start with that. How did it come about? And let's talk about the successes of it. Yeah. Um, so recruit prep again came about before I was part of Seattle fire. Initially, I believe it was more of a fitness appreciation type of program and getting folks to understand uh, roughly about a month, five weeks out before drill school starts or our drill school starts where they are at and if they're ready to go. And it gives them opportunity to, you know, start touching ladders, start touching some of the equipment and just kind of move around and do some things with it. It has been refined and, and revamped over the years. More recently, I think it's become more of a structured program and I'm very content with where it's at right now. So recruit prep, uh, the main population we're grabbing here is the incoming recruit class. So before any of our drill school starts, four weeks before is when the recruit prep program will start and it will run for four weekends. It occurs only on Saturdays and we spend roughly, I'll just say 10 hours on each one of those uh, weekend sessions at our joint training facility, uh, going through a, a five different skill blocks. Uh, those skill blocks, are donning and doffing that includes uh getting familiar with the scba you know they'll uh go through what their daily check should look like or on learn how to do a daily check uh and then they'll eventually learn how to sling the scba and go on air uh this time around we're, we're seeing how things are progressing we might even be able to add just some basic mayday uh communications so that way that's somewhat familiar to, to folks um the other skill blocks uh, one of them is ladders. So that's where they, you know, finally get a chance to, you know, put a ladder on the shoulder and carry it around a little bit, feel the weight of it. And then we have a weekly progression plan for how to actually throw the ladder. Uh, so they get a chance to, you know, touch some roofers. They'll get a chance to touch 24s, 28. They'll be extending a 35 every weekend. Um, they'll be doing some carries and then uh, learning how to just tie the halyard. Uh, other skill blocks, uh, the third one is power tools and force entry. So very basic, just learning how to start tools, uh, getting familiar with hand tools. You know, you got a chance to see some folks swinging a sledgehammer. Um, you know, people got to touch the Halligan maybe for the first time. Uh, and they just went over one person door force. Um, and we just kept it very, we're keeping it very simple. We're not actually getting too in the weeds with that. We're letting drill school handle that part. Um, and then our four and five skill blocks, number four, they get a chance to uh, understand how to load, load hose properly and also how to, um, you know, catch a hydrant. And then the last one is hose deployment and hose handling. So fundamentals on how to deploy their hose and then fundamentals on, um, you know, some of the nozzle forward stuff that we uh, emphasize here at our drill school. So in a nutshell, that's what the in-person pieces of it. I should backtrack a little bit more and also say, one thing that I've added on to our recruit prep program is an online segment. So now we're talking two months before drill school. We'll start with an online component that just kind of starts to kind of preload some of those skill yeah. blocks that I just mentioned, but it's yeah. more about, we need you to read the BSM. We need you to learn these knots. We need you to focus on your physical fitness. Here's a resource yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah. And then when they get to the start of our in-person recruit prep sessions, again, yeah. one month out four weeks, excuse me, just before drill school. The hope is they have preloaded some of that. So that way our time in person becomes that much more valuable. Yeah. Um, so it definitely seems like it's a whole lot we're throwing at, to, at them. I yeah. constantly ask myself, 
do we need to pare this down some more? Do we, yeah. is there, is there stuff we're missing? Um, but after, you know, talking to some of our lead instructors and talking with just various firefighters, like I think yeah. we're really right where we're at with what we're offering and how we're offering it. Yeah. I'm sure it's been, um, through the years, I'm sure it's been, uh, you know, uh, fortunately for, for you guys at Seattle Fire, you guys, it's been going ongoing, I'm going to guess, for years now. I'm sure the very first one and the second one and third one, it right. kind of was like so many things that were that you should have included that you didn't include and so many changes. I went bad. This went good. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's fortunate for you guys that it's more more or less dialed, if you will, probably little things here and there to kind of change. But that's huge. There's so many things I want to go from that. Number one, let's, let's start with here. Let's, let's go from the cost-benefit piece because obviously – I can I can I can imagine uh, a, a big reason to why this isn't a a huge you know this isn't like a, a thing that every fire department does is the cost benefit right obviously there's a cost right and um, I understand that the uh, the recruits aren't on payroll yet they're in your recruit class but your instructors are on the payroll they're being, you know they're 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 coming on off duty but I love the um, uh, the format, if you will, that you guys use, you bring in when I visited the other day, you guys had, you know, probationary firefighters, you had young firefighters that are there to teach, instruct, to help mm-hmm. build their own confidence and skill set. But also yeah. they were also, you know, the ones that were in their shoes, the recruits shoes just a year ago or eight months yeah. ago, or a year and a half ago. But then mm-hmm. also you're preparing your future instructor cadre of the department. So there's just so much uh, oh, yeah. that, that I'm going to touch on there, but let's start <laughs> with the, uh, the piece that is always going to be the, the beginning roadblock and that's the cost benefit. And you and I have talked about this. Um, talk a little bit about the costs that it is to run a recruit prep and how, you know, how it works for Seattle fire and how you guys are able to say, you know what, this is still worth it regardless of the cost. Yeah. It's a good place to start. Right. Um, First off, I'm not sure how specific I can be, so I'm just going to play it safe and kind of dance around some of this Absolutely. Just, and just a little yeah. bit. No, thank you. But what I'll say is, Let's look at the cost of sending one recruit through drill school. So I'm talking the whole 15 and a half weeks drill school. They're actually hired. They're being paid salary, all the materials that they're given, uh, gear and all that stuff. That costs roughly below six figures. All right. So that's just for one individual, right? So then you multiply that by a whole class of, you know, 50, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, you definitely get into uh, the millions very quickly. The cost to run our recruit prep program is roughly 70 to 75% of the cost to send one person through our drill school. Yeah. Just one. Wow. Yeah. So even if you saved one recruit because of this program, yeah. You know, you made, you made the, uh, their transition into our drill school that much more, uh, efficient for them. You know, exactly. you reduce the cognitive burden, you're giving them a base to, to develop from. Yeah. Um, you know, you save one recruit for those reasons. Uh, you're already in a net positive. Already, for yeah. That. You're already, you're already winning if you will. Yeah. yeah. Let alone two or three or eight. Right. Yeah. Uh, it is definitely, I will say it's definitely a tough uh, metric to quantify of who we actually save, who do we did, who did we not save. That's true. Um, and that's because there's so many other variables we probably can't even measure to begin exactly. with. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of things that are even out of our control. Yeah. Um, after doing this with one class, I wholeheartedly believe we managed to save several yeah. uh, or help several recruits get through our drill school um, or become highly more successful because of this. Yeah. Um, so there definitely is that benefit. 
Uh, and so the cost that we expend for this program is mainly on our overtime hours. Yeah. So just like you were touching on, we bring in some of our instructors or sorry, some of our firefighters from operations or maybe from a previous drill school. Um, and we have them, uh, you know, teach our skill sessions. And so for me to, you know, uh, have them come down, I would just be paying them overtime hours. Yeah. Um, other costs that might be uh, worth consideration are just, and again, every department is a little different, right? So you might need uh, to have, you know, helmets, hard hats, you know, the materials that are needed maybe for like the force store, a force entry prop, those types of things. Uh, so just any little, little variable you can kind of um, account for that might come out of the budget. Yeah. If it doesn't already come out of your training division budget, that's probably right. uh, going to get lumped into the whole cost of this program. Right. No, I mean, I think it's, I, I love that piece because when I was over there and I was uh, watching some of the drills and I mean, we're, we're talking basics, right? We're not, you guys mm -hmm. weren't getting into like complex multi-company. It was like, this is the ladder lift it. This is how heavy it is. So then these individuals could, you know, go home, if you will, they have an idea of what something weighs. They can incorporate some body movements to, to simulate, if you will. And they're not just like, how many times have, have we all seen, you know, Oh, you know, I'm in great shape. I can, I can deadlift 400 pounds, but mm -hmm. their, their ability to translate that into job movements, it doesn't correlate. Right. And so I, this just gives that exposure to, this is what two and a half inch hose looks like to move it 50 feet on a hot day on asphalt. Like, you know, yeah. that, 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 that stress, that cognitive and physical stress on the body is huge. And one thing that, um, you know, I was talking to uh, chief Goins uh, about is he talked about chainsaws, right. And here he is a guy that, grew up in Seattle here myself. I grew up in Bellevue. It, it gives the exposure to people to have access to the exact chainsaws that they're going to be using, not just in the Academy, but on, on in operations. And it gives them the ability to learn the appropriate way that the department expects them to, to use them, to carry them. Uh, and so it gives, again, that early exposure of something that these people may not have ever, ever touched in their life. And some of these people are 30, 40, we'll say even 50 years old, maybe. And so uh, it, it's from the standpoint of giving that early access Mm -hmm. It's huge. And then you're talking about, you know, even going one step further and you're giving them online access to, Hey, this is some of the stuff. And it's just like, I'm looking at this and I'm just, I'm just amazed. So I, I, I love it. Um, another thing yeah, I'd also yeah. point out, sorry, I'd also no, point no. out that, you know, it probably touches into that adult learning, you know, concept a little bit too. Right. Uh, exactly. I was going to talk about, yep. It, oh. it provides context for the things that we're talking about. So, you know, kind of to your point, people are thinking, you know, I'm physically fit, I'm physically strong. I can do this, I can do that, right? And then they come in and then they realize, oh no, I gotta actually, you know, carry this ladder on my shoulder, then I gotta throw it. And then even though we don't get to this point, but at some point during drill school, yeah, you gotta climb up that ladder with tools, with all these other things, in full bunkering gear with the SCB on your back. If it's hot out, right, you're not really cooling down as efficiently as possible. You're probably stressed from the day before, either from soreness or because people were yelling at you the day before, right? Um, so <laughs> Again, we don't go into those components uh, yeah. just yet. We're still just kind of providing just the foundation, but yeah. we're still kind of educating and telling them like these are the extra things that you're going to have to account for at some point. Yep. But uh, sometimes that light bulb moment, I think, doesn't happen until there's uh, context that's provided. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, like, like I mentioned, we have that online piece. If I yeah. said, all right, here's a video on how you throw a ladder properly, you know, you're going to watch it and think, okay, whatever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what, 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 what about it? Yeah. Um, right. But then when you actually come in and get a couple reps in, you go exactly. back to that video and you think, oh, wait, OK, I see what I missed or I see yep. this, this and that. Right. And then they come back the following week and then they could touch on what they did last week in coupled mm -hmm. with what they watched in the video and they kind of put it together 
to where they go back the next week and they're like already thinking, I think I know what to do based on that video and my experience. So I love yes. that learning piece because that's huge because um, without it, I guess, no, go, go for it. Sorry, I guess I'll just add in theory. <laughs> in the, yeah, in theory. And it, it is a theory, right? When they talk about like the adult learning theory, it is just a theory, but uh, it's hard, hard to quantify too, right? It's almost like, did, did it work? Did the extra videos, did it work? It's almost just one of those things we can adopt on ourselves. Would it work for me? Would mm -hmm. it work for you? And when there's enough people that are like, I think that would be better. Because at the end of the day, once you build a video, it's almost like there's no extra work done. It's, it's, it's in a library and now it's mm -hmm. a resource. It's not continued staffing hours that you have to continuously, you know, it's like you build that video, you use it in conjunction with, uh, you know, a skills day, like you're saying, a recruit prep Saturday. And then you provide it as a resource and they can watch it 50 times between week to week. And it just, it's, it's the ability to capture another resource that maybe not everybody uses, but maybe five people use it. And for five people, it was the, it's what would have been the the breaking point, if you will. Um, yeah. And that, and that was what I was wanted to touch on with like the whole in theory piece. Um, you know, they obviously have to take the ownership of their own development and they have to, you know, utilize those resources and actually critically think, and, uh, you know, apply themselves a little bit. Um, one thing I always uh, emphasize when we start either this recruit prep or fire prep program is that, you know, we're doing all we can, uh, but, but all we can do is really create the environment and the opportunities for these individuals. But it's a two-way street, right? They got to come in and actually do the work and actually utilize the information that we're giving them. Yeah. Um, it's definitely, yeah. these aren't, these definitely aren't like hand-holding programs. Yeah. Um, of course, we're not like cracking the whip or anything like that, but, right. uh, you know, you, they still need to take some ownership and, yep. you know, using the resources, yep. uh, the whole, it's, you know, falls into the whole, lead yeah. the horse to water, you know, exactly. type of Can't thing. Make them break it. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, I think at the, I think we would all agree, um, at the end of, let's just say after any kind of drill school, any, at the end of every recruit Academy, if there's one thing, there's just 20 things we can always improve on, but mm -hmm. I think one overarching, um, common response to, what else could we have done? It, I think it'd come down to more reps, right? Like a lot of people are like, if we had the ability to have more reps with this topic or that topic. And I think what the recruit prep does, it gives you that the more reps, the, the early reps. And yeah, then more, more time and more reps. Yeah. The more reps. And so I'm going to, I'm going to throw a, I'm going to throw a, a question out there and this will be an impossible to quantify, right? Impossible. But let's just, for the sake of the conversation, let's just say of a, what, what's a typical recruit number for, for Seattle over the last two, three years, like 60, 50, 60 recruits. Um, I guess if you take average of our last four classes, including this one right now, let's just say 60, 60. So again, this is going to be an impossible number, but let's just run with it. Let's just say, but the recruit prep and we'll, we'll talk about fire prep next, but recruit mm -hmm. prep, how many, um, do you, would you say it would be an estimation of a number that was a success because recruit prep was, uh, w was available? How many people would you say, w would it be fair to say three? Well, I can only touch on the most previous class. Oh, that's right. Um, that's right. But based on that, I mean, yeah, I mean, probably three five, maybe? somewhere three to five. I'd, wow. I'd say that. I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's... Maybe, it, maybe it took some. So the other thing I like to say about these programs is that it, it raises the floor. Yeah. I don't know if that's a maybe a negative way of looking at things or not. Uh, say that one but time. To me, raising one? the floor. Oh, raising the floor. Okay. Right. So, and but what I mean by that is you're going to have every every recruit academy or drill school out in the nation right they i'm sure everybody has dealt with attrition to some capacity yeah uh, higher than they want to see yeah right 
uh, and some of those folks that, you know, we end up washing out of drill schools, um, yeah. you know, they're, they're probably like on the fringe or on that line, right. Yeah, of, yeah. You know, if they just do a little bit more work or a little yeah. more preparation, yeah, they're going to be fine. Yeah. But you know, where's that opportunity going to come from? Yeah. So okay. to me, it's, it's raising the floor of, you know, just raising the, that, that fringe line up a little bit yeah. uh, and letting some of those individuals get that opportunity. And, yes. you know, again, in theory, if they take advantage of it, yes they're going to be, they're going to be okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's hard to say that. I mean, and we'll, we'll let's touch on this real quick. Um, I understand that the, the participation rate is, is not hundred percent. Right. And it's hard to get hundred percent, but I would like to mm-hmm. think that 90%, right. You give everybody an opportunity that's on your hiring list, this opportunity to be successful, this early look at, at drill school. Um, I, I'm shocked. It's not in the 90%. What percent of participation do you have with, with the program? And, and why, in your opinion, right, it's all, it's all opinion-based, why do you feel mm-hmm. it's not in the 90s or the upper 90% of participation? Yeah, so I'd say between the last couple of recruit uh, prep programs that I've managed, I'd say our average is 70%. 70, um, okay. To me, I'd like to get that to 80. Yeah. But there's some variables that might be out of our control. Um, one being if we're, we're, again, we're talking about an incoming recruit class, some individuals might be coming from out of state. So, you know, they might sign up for the program because of our online resources. Oh, good point. You know, they're, they're still going to get everything that I'm throwing out to everybody for the whole eight weeks. Yeah. So, you know, they're coming from out of state or even if they are in state, but their commute is, you know, two hours or oh, one good hour, point. whatever it is. Right. Yeah. So there's always going to be a handful of individuals in that boat. And then other variables that we might not be able to control, uh, you know, maybe people had a couple, you know, f- family trips or whatever it is, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. Middle of summer, good point. Right, yeah. middle of summer, right. You know, th- yeah. those probably got booked several months before they even got the job offer. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, sometimes an individual just, you know, they might get sick. You know, COVID's yeah. still kind of out there, right? So, yeah. you know, individuals might catch a flu or get sick, you know, the week before and, you know, yeah. out of caution, they might not come. Um, some of these individu- individuals are probably working still. Yeah. Right. They're probably, no, they're, good point, yeah. they're not putting their two weeks in until they absolutely need to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sporting families so, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if, especially if there's other individuals coming from a different fire department or maybe they're coming from uh, the, the okay. EMS world or ENT yeah. world. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, th- there's definitely like some valid reasons why folks definitely wouldn't be able yeah. to come in. Yeah. Um, but again, the hope is, you know, the opportunity is provided. So yeah. I like we would like to see right as yes. many people as possible take advantage of it. Absolutely. So with that being said, 70%, it actually is a pretty good number. So I, I obviously 80 is what you're shooting for, but based on everything that you just said, 70 is actually a pretty decent number still, right? I mean, so I imagine people are coming from all over the place to come work for Seattle, like it's out of state, middle of summer, um, still people still working their current job because recruit prep is not, these aren't people that are on payroll as of yet. So 70% is a good number. It's a good number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a solid number. There is maybe a little inconsistency with when you get to the individual level, right? Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. got folks coming on week one versus and week three versus yeah. one through four, whatever it is, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's something that's always going to be there, um, yeah. and it's a frustration of ours that's always just never going to go away, just because yeah. we have a a curriculum that progresses week to week, right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Level one goes to level two, goes to level yeah. three, etc. Yeah. But yeah. you know, we will work with what we can can do with what we have. No, I love it. And 
obviously the work that's being done in this region and Seattle is obviously, you know, uh, you know, taking lead on this and other departments around us in the region are doing the same. We're trying to tackle these opportunities on how to not just recruit individuals coming to the fire service, but how do we come up with um, opportunities for them to, to be successful, right? It's one thing to say, Hey, you got the job. Good luck. You better do well. Otherwise there's someone else waiting in line to get the job. Well, now it's okay. You got the job. What can we do to raise people's access to opportunity, but be successful. And I love that. So now I want to talk real quick, not even real quick. We could talk in depth about this because the next piece about this is obviously from the leadership standpoint is you're, you're raising success rates in the Academy, in the drill school, but also you're developing the existing employees of Seattle fire. For example, mm-hmm. the instructor skill. Like when I, yeah. when I met with them um, and I can't even remember his name, is it, was it Todd or a Todd or Ted? Fire, firefighter Ted Condon. Ted, Ted, Ted Condon. That's who it is. And we still got to connect them because uh, a phenomenal guy. Talk mm-hmm. about just the, 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 the building of confidence in their skill set, but then also preparation for them to be future instructors or just build better people. Um, so uh, obviously there's intention behind the instructor cadre that that's uh, going to come teach at recruit prep and fire prep and just the development of them early. So um, yeah. I, I guess I don't have a question, but first of all, I love yeah. that concept. And can you talk a little <laughs> bit about that whole setup because you're building future um, leaders in the fire service at Seattle fire? Yeah. Um, that's something I, when I first kind of, started managing the whole fire prep or crew prep programs. I can't really say how specifically I it caught my attention, but it did that, you know, we're having instructors come down and there's the added benefit for them because there are, they are, you know, developing critical thinking behind the skills that that's being taught. Right. And they're breaking down the individual components to it. And they are getting a better understanding of the skill for themselves personally. Um, so I just call all this like the subliminal benefit of these whole programs is, uh, you know, you bring in good people who can communicate, who can teach, who can coach, uh, and you're giving them a chance to um, just kind of continue to build their understanding of their own skill set and their own profession, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can probably put it up in, in, in some in these terms as well. Like, you know, if I asked you like, hey, how do you throw a 28? And you're just like, I don't know. I just throw it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, for you to be able to instruct it, you probably need to break that down a little bit differently. And you exactly. Can't just go, just throw the 28. Just do it like just this. Get just, stronger. Just yeah, just, yeah. Just do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to actually, you know, get a little uh, in, in the weeds with it. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, and what's unique about the recruit prep program we're, we're in the middle of right now is the probationary fighters that are, that are teaching for me yeah. or, you know, teaching for us. You know, they were part of the 118 recruit prep. Sorry, I'll, I'll re- rephrase that. <laughs> uh, the, the recruits that are, uh, I'm sorry, the probationary firefighters that are helping out with this program right now, uh, recruit prep that's right in the middle of, Yeah, they were part of the previous recruit prep. So they got to be on the other side. On the other side, yep. So they got to be the, the student, right? And yes. now they're in a position to be the instructor. Yes. And in between all that is when they had a drill school that significantly improves their skill or yes. their understanding of things. Yes. Um, and maybe now that they have several shifts under their belt, you know, yeah. as a probationary firefighter. But they're still young in their career. But now they have an opportunity to, again, continue to just, uh, you know, teach some of the things that we're going to be instructing. Yeah. So these, some of these uh, individuals that I saw last week are current probationary firefighters, yes? Yeah. 
So, I mean, that, that, that's awesome because like, like you mentioned, like it, it, probationary firefighters are still probationary firefighters. I know individuals will go both ways. Well, they're on probation. We don't want them to, you know, you know, put themselves in a position to, you know, get in trouble or whatever. But at the end of the day, when we're talking about, you know, cause for the most part, like probationary firefighters, what they're, what they're lacking, what they're needing is just more, you know, yeah, obviously we're talking about maybe just running calls, you know, be, be, you know, running EMS calls, going on the emergency responses, those stressful responses, but those are things you can't control, right? You can't control how many calls you're going to go on. But one thing that you can control, right? We can talk about controlling only what you can control is getting out there and utilizing your own skills, your own training. And this allows them that opportunity. Like you said, that double benefit of they were just in these recruits uh, prep shoes a, a year ago. They know exactly how they're feeling. They know that stress level. They know how much they need to be successful or want to be successful. And now here they are to be able to provide that adult learning environment, but also to be able to provide that, that I understand what you're going through and I sympathize and empathize with what you're going through right now. And here's, here's how I would have benefited um, had I been in your, you know, if, if there was an instructor that mm -hmm. understood where I was coming from this and here I am, that's why I'm here today. So I love that piece. And obviously it's, it's a model that Seattle runs with and loves. Yes. Yeah. And let me actually backtrack a little bit more. Cause I think this yeah. is worth highlighting. I yeah. probably should touch on this sooner. The recruit prep program and even the fire prep program, they have, it has a hierarchy, right? So, um, what I, what I do is I find experienced firefighters or potentially an officer uh, for our, un, our engine curriculum and then for our truck curriculum. And so those are my lead instructors. And it's set up, I'll say our hierarchy, I'm trying to, to replicate as much as, our, uh, as what we have in drill school, right? Where we have a lead on the engine side, we have a lead on the truck side. And then right under them, we'll have a couple co-leads um, who work together to develop their curriculum. They're all on the same page on how we're going to teach things. We have the curriculum written out. This is the script we're going to follow for each session for each week. This is what our progression looks like. So when we bring in other instructors, whether they're a firefighter or the probationary firefighter, they have a script to follow. And that script we try to replicate or get as close to what's being taught in our drill school as possible, or at least, you know, you know, best practice available. Exactly. So yeah, that's definitely beneficial, right? For the probationary yeah. firefighter who just Absolutely. came out of drill school. Yeah. Um, but also there's the benefit that the probationary firefighter, again, can sympathize and can, um, yeah. you know, relate, relate yeah. to the incoming class that what they're feeling, what they're going through, they can start, you know, feeding uh, tips on, Hey, this is what helped me, you know, whether it's at home or at drill school, yeah. uh, these, these are the things that I did, you know, and they can definitely uh, provide some level of mentorship that's, for that. <laughs> That's funny. As you said, mentorship, I'm writing mentorship down because I had a question on that. So uh, I, I'll ask a question. Actually, I'll get to it second because I want to ask the first one first. How many of uh, the instructors that come back, whether it be the probationary firefighters or just the young firefighters that are coming, helping teach recruit or fire prep, how much of them are end up being your future cadre, like in drill school or other? Like, are they the ones selected to be the next drill instructors, if you will? Yeah. So I probably have to, you know, dig through the history books and, and, Sure. And actually yeah. figure that one out. But good candidates at least, right? Right. But that's also, um, it's good that you brought that up because that's also a, another benefit of this program and something that I've been talking to like our training division chief is, you know, can, can these programs, recruit prep, fire prep, be like a prerequisite, either officially or unofficially, you know, to becoming a, a, a drill school instructor? Yeah. You know, there, there's definitely that, you know, that time in requirement. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if, if people are applying to be the, you know, one of the instructors for our drill schools, 
Yeah. I think it's, it looks good if they said, Hey, yeah, I've been doing recruit prep. I didn't doing fire prep as an instructor. Right. You know, I, I've been working on my ability to teach. I've been working on, you know, my uh, thought process of how to teach things. Yeah. Um, so I think that helps definitely the department, you know, when they're looking for the right people to bring in to be, you know, yeah. uh, instructors for the drill school. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one and, thing I and, yeah, and there are, Sorry, there are some okay. some young uh, probationary fighters, yeah. probationary firefighters who are already thinking like, hey, you know, one day I'd like to be, that's awesome. you know, uh, um, an instructor for drill school. You know, yeah. that's something that interests me. And then, you know, there's obviously some other firefighters in that same boat. So yeah. Yeah. whether or not they get selected, I can say, hey, here's a here's a program you can fall back on. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it gives you an opportunity to work through whatever it is you want to get better at yeah. or um you know, get you some more hands-on touches and experience. Exactly. And if, even if you, uh, that the individuals don't aspire to be a drill instructor one day or they don't get selected for whatever reason, they've still built themselves up mm-hmm. as fundamentally with skills, but also as instructors and teachers and mentors mm-hmm. that at the end of the day, you still, you still win regardless. Um, yeah. Uh, two things I want to mention, um, actually I'll get to the mentorship piece second. Um, say you have individuals that are, we'll just say struggling, right? So we're, the recruit prep program gives them access to say throwing ladders, 24s, 28s, eventually 35s. Say they're, you know, doing um, some of the nozzle forward hose deployment methods with, you know, uh, bringing hose into a building, a two, uh, fully charged two and a half. And the, the recognition, how much of, so is it, is the program simply access but or is there um, a program to see if there's people struggling physically, for example, is there something that says, hey, I noticed you're struggling. Do you take it beyond the curriculum of just here you go? And do you say, here's something that you can do to then help you prepare for the next week recruit prep or for the academy? Here's a strength program. Here's some things, you know, you kind of know what I'm getting at. Yeah. So what I'll point out is um, ideally you would want everybody to be at the level of physical fitness that they need to be when this program starts. And I say that because, you know, when they finally come in and do these in-person, these hands-on skill sessions, uh, we're one month before drill school starts. As far as physical development goes, I see. It, it's, it's very late in the game. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's also a program that's voluntary, right? So sure. you know, none of these folks are, are coming in, um, getting paid and we're not telling them, uh, we're, sorry, we're telling them that, you know, we don't share information, anything that we see and observe here. We're not sharing this with drill school. We're not sharing this with, you know, uh, HR or anything like that. We're not trying to get a better sense of should we hire you? It, we, it, this is strictly a program to help folks improve and get better. Yeah. So for, for those reasons, um, we kind of are at the liberty or at the um, at the. I don't know how to say it. Mercy of we're at the mercy of folks to self-realize. Yes. This that, might, yeah, yeah. I'm struggling I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. And, and there's just only so much we can do to really you know, guide Absolutely. that conversation. But yeah. So it, assuming they can self-realize it, they might be yeah. able to catch themselves and yeah. there's the potential to maybe defer to the next class. And yeah, you know, that's something that's a decision they'll have to make on their own. Yeah. No, and I love that, that opportunity of, Maybe I'm not ready. Defer to the next class. I know what I can do to get ready because at the end of the day, let's think about the alternative. I like to think about the alternatives because individual gets a a conditional offer. They don't have any prep program. They show up day one. They're in week six. They get released. Mm -hmm. Now they have to start from square one all over again from the testing process and all that stuff. And it's like this allows them that access. Oh, wow. I only have a month of drill school. Um, That is late, but at least I had some access. I could do something or the realization of can I defer? 
and it, it gives them options. At the end of the day, it gives them options. I think that's where that that equity piece that we're talking about here is is giving the people that you're meeting them where they're at, if you will, and not just good luck, right? Good luck, which is where we've been, you know, for for in the history of you know the fire service. And right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying, but that's just kind of it's the steps that are that are being given to allow people to to see things early and and uh, and to maybe make a change ahead of time. But uh, real quick, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry go ahead. to finish up on yeah. the same topic. I'll point out um, part of the reason why we added the online portion was to create an even earlier, uh, hopefully, acknowledgement that physical fitness needs to start being worked on. It is still pretty late in the game where you're two months out, but two months you can definitely make some improvement Example. or you can get something out of that versus, you know, two months is better than one month, I guess. It is. Say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when they start their online component, yeah. you know, we're offering, you know, a fitness resource. Yeah. Uh, and, I'd ho- and I hope that over time I can develop that a little bit more to have yeah. some uh, force multipliers, some certified force multipliers for me to help out to oversee yeah. those, the, the implementation of those programs and a little more of the, uh, the mentorship of those programs. Yeah. So you're so with the two months out, and I know we talked about this, and uh, let's talk about it here. Uh, so now you're talking about the fire prep side. So that's a little bit further out. Oh, that's even further out. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's talk about fire prep, and let's talk about you know the two month stuff out. So fire prep, a little bit different than recruit prep. Mm-hmm. Fire prep is, and that one is the one that's a little bit more on the physical base. You got more videos. You got stuff to preparation for and these are not even necessarily people that have been given conditional offers with Seattle, right? These are people that are interested in the fire service, but also interest in Seattle, um, mm-hmm. but not people that have been given a job offer. So talk a little bit about fire prep, how that came about. Yeah. So fire prep, uh, I, I'll start with how it came about. Um, there were some conversations probably several months before I got hired about how to merge. Uh, there was, I think there were two kind of programs that were trying to accomplish the same thing, um, but just kind of also going in different directions at the same time. But uh, finding a way to kind of merge those two, so that way it just becomes one single effort, um, but also an effort that gives people an opportunity to um, acknowledge that their physical fitness needs to improve, and also um, give them some exposure to why it needs to improve. And that is, you know, being in bunking gear and actually moving, uh, you know, tools around and moving equipment around and, and doing some of the things that they're going to have to do during drill school. Um, so yeah, the population is a little different. Um, these are folks that are either on their hiring list. They might be in the next class, right? Um, or there are folks that may be coming from a fire science college or program, or they're coming from, you know, just, Hey, I have interest in, in, in joining this program or, Hey, maybe, uh, you know, I wanted to do senior cadets or something along those lines. Right. And, you know, I want to do this program because of that. So the program is more for a, uh, the adult learners still, uh, it's definitely a little more condensed than, um, maybe some cadet programs. I'm not sure exactly the durations of those for each department. Um, but anyways, fire prep is a, uh, eight week program, nine. If you include our orientation day, it kind of de- breaks into two halves weeks, one through four, actually I'll backtrack. Uh, so yeah, eight week program nine. If you include our orientation day, Orientation day is where uh, everybody that's signed up, they'll come in. We'll have them meet at our joint training facility. We go over uh, some, you know, introductions. These are your instructors. 
we go over some expectations. This is what the, the program is going to expect of you. Uh, these are the things that we're going to offer you. These are things we're going to do over the next few weeks. Um, and then we go outside and do a, a little bit of a physical fitness assessment. Uh, from there, based on how people score on their assessment, uh, we just, I guess I should say I decide if they should stick with our in-person route or they should just defer to the online only route where they will probably need to, to focus more on their physical fitness development. This fit, this assessment, again, it's it, both of these programs, we're not using any of this information to figure out who should we hire. You know, we're not, we're not sharing any of this with HR. We're not sharing this, any of this with training division. Right. Um, it's more of giving an individual an opportunity to assess their yeah. fitness and it. give them it. metrics that I try to translate into English. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, it gives them an opportunity to kind of see where they're at and where yeah. they need to be. Yeah. And then we follow up with that resource of how do you get there? I love um, it. So anyways, after orientation day, uh, the, the eight weeks of our program divides into two halves. The first week being more about uh, individual skill development. So there'll be a, a, a skill block for truck, mainly ladders, a little bit of tools. There'll be a skill block for engine, uh, mainly hose deployment, a little bit of hose loading, a um, little bit of hose handling. And then there's a skill block for uh, weightlifting techniques. So we'll bring them into the weight room that we have at our joint training facility. Mm. Um, go over, you know, lower body strength. Here's some fundamental mechanics and here's some fundamental movements. This is how these movements translate. I love it. This is why these movements are important. Yeah. Here's variations of the movements. Uh, and this is how you incorporate it in your training. Uh, so we'll go over, you know, some lifting techniques for the lower body, for the upper body. Um, we'll get a little bit into energy systems development. Uh, anaerobic aerobic systems those types of things and then we talk about load carriage which is you know doing things with load yeah, right yeah um and then uh with that same skill block if there's a little bit of time we just start going over you know a couple knots how to properly tie them okay um just so they can start getting some of that exposure early on yeah so anyways that's the first half the back half we kind of reduce the time of our skills uh, we'll, we might introduce what we just call the skill of the day. So we mm -hmm. might just touch a little bit on just search, uh, touch a little bit on how to catch the hydrant. At no point in these programs are we actually really talking about like donning, doffing, SCBA, yeah. uh, Maydig, all those more yeah. advanced things. Um, but the, the, what's unique about the back half of our program, the weeks five through eight, is that we start introducing uh, mini evolutions. Yeah. So that's where we just string together some of the skills that they've learned in previous weeks into a you know uh, a set period of time of physical work mm -hmm. uh, and with that we'll just incorporate a little bit of like maybe some physical fitness elements so we'll say all right you know how to throw the 24 now so now i need you to put it on your shoulder carry it to the cone come back to this wall throw the 24 you're going to walk over to this cone you're going to do 10 squats right okay now you're going to go up the stairs with a hose bundle on your shoulder and then you're going to come back down uh and then you, well, I don't know, maybe we'll, we'll quiz you on something. We'll ask you a couple questions, see if you remembered something that we told you before you started. Uh, and that's just, and all this is done in gear, right? Love it. Uh, so Love so it. What's, what's unique about this program is that we issue gear. We'll, we'll yeah. give them some, some old structural boots. We'll give them some old structural uh, bunk and, uh, gear uh, just to start getting a feel of how it restricts movement, how it gets, uh, how it restricts your ability to cool down, right? Especially on a hot day. Um and how it just kind of changes the 
the physical demand of the work you're doing in comparison to without the gear. No, I, I, Oh man. I love that. I mean, uh, one thing we always talk about too is um, I think, and I'm not, I'm not really speaking for anybody here, but just more or less conversation I've heard people talk about is, you know, sometimes when we talk about preparing people for an academy or preparing them, uh, one thing that we always hear is, well, we don't want to de- develop bad habits. So mm-hmm. I look at that and I, I think that's a very old school term. And in, in just my, my opinion is, can there be a development of bad habits? Absolutely. Like, they're going to be yeah. a development of bad habits. Anything that we do, I mean, someone that comes from a different fire department, someone that's in lateral firefighters, that there's going to be bad habits. And if bad habits are something we don't want, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't ever hire someone from another, another department or lateral. But, but what I love about exposure, even though there might, you can limit bad habits, right? But making sure you, the curriculum is being, is correct. Mm-hmm. Make sure be what's being taught is correct. You vet the program. You vet the, the, the instructors, but even if there was a development of bad habits, we'll say, for example, let's just say, for example, you know, we taught someone ladders and they learned 30 things. They learned all the components of a ladder. They know how to lift a ladder, you know, properly at 24, 28. They learned the ladder commands and say of the 20 or 30 things, three bad habits were developed. Well, how many good habits were developed? Mm-hmm. 30, 40, 50. So you're giving someone, you know, yes, you might have to unlearn a certain terminology, but the pro to that was you don't have to ongoing teach from square one, the components, the ladder commands, the lifting technique. So I think one thing that we get caught up on is bad habits and we don't talk about the good habits that we've just ingrained in some people. So I love that. And the second piece that I love about that is you talked about the stress because you're how you're letting people have access to perform under stress, but they're really not even under stress. Because these aren't right. people that are, that are being offered a job. They're not even being evaluated. So, again, as we mm-hmm. talk about meeting people where they're at, as we talk about equity, as we talk about preparing people to be successful in the career, this is exactly what they're doing. And I, I would imagine also with the fire prep that some of these people that go to fire prep are even getting jobs elsewhere, right? I mean, they're probably, you know, yeah. hey, maybe, there's, right? There's a handful that have, right? Yeah. And what I'll say is maybe selfishly we would – Ideally, we'd like to prevent that, right? So of course, of course. To me, to me, I think it should be a program that really focuses on you know the folks that are in our hiring pipeline. Yes, yes. Because um, you know we're spending the money to to invest exactly. in their development and, and yeah. their you know progression. Yeah, it'd be nice to you know hold on to those individuals as well. Absolutely. But um, it, I mean, it's it's only been maybe two or three people out yeah. of yeah 120 now that we've done so gone far. through our, our last two classes. Last two okay. of, of fire prep. Yeah. Um, and sorry, and then to touch on some of the some of the things you just mentioned, it it also goes back to that adult learning concept. Adult too, learning, right? providing, we keep talking about that, yeah. Pr- providing context, yeah. You know, um, I think maybe both you and I can agree that the CPAT isn't really a good indicator of right. whether you're physically ready to do this job, yeah, right? Um, and so we have folks that you know whether they uh, either pass the CPAT or they're just like, you know, oh yeah, I've been going to the gym for the last five years, whatever. Yeah. I know what I'm doing, right? That, that yeah. one third of that knows what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they come in and then they realize like, oh, there's it's more not. to this. Exactly. Or even if it's not the physical fitness piece, there are people that sign up to become firefighters, but forget that, again, maybe like I touched on this earlier, like it's, yes, you have to throw that ladder, but you also have to climb up the ladder, right? Yeah. And yeah. That's not the stuff we do, but, you know, showing that there's more to the job than yes. what they might've seen on surface level. Right. Right. You know, there's, there's, you know, the, starting the tools, maintenance of the tools, you know, yeah. all those other things, uh, yeah. you know, hose deployment, stretching hose. And, yeah. you know, we, we might even get to like some light like, conversations of like, 
all right, well, now that you know how to deploy your hose, what happens when we're actually inside the building? Exactly. You know, yeah. we're flowing and moving. These are the conditions. It's going to be hot. It's going to be yeah. uh, hard to see, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So all those other things that maybe people don't see when, when they're, they're, you know, considering this career field. Yeah, no. And, and I love it. I, what I love the most about all of it is, is that early exposure, because there's a lot of individuals getting into the fire service now that, you know, weren't volunteer firefighters, right? Uh, you go back 15, 20 years, a lot of, you know, majority will say we're volunteers. They had exposure early. And so what are we doing when we see, let's not just say fail rates, but we'll say struggle, struggle rates of individuals in the academy. A lot of it is just simply because there was no earlier exposure. And, and, and so you get a volunteer that was a volunteer for five years, um, you know, goes through a 15 week academy and you get someone that's brand new with no experience going through the same number of weeks of academy. Inherently, it's going to be the, the one individual is going to struggle more, right? Just because mm-hmm. there's that zero experience. But when you have a fire prep, when you have a recruit prep, even if it was, one day, two days, but yours is four weeks of recruit prep, eight weeks fire prep. And then we're talking about hundreds of hours, maybe not hundreds, right? But still several, several dozens of hours of early exposure and having resources with the end goal of raising success in individuals. I think that that's it. That's it right there, right? Right. Assuming they attend every session they attend, yeah. and take advantage of everything we offer. And take them, advantage, right? Right. So yeah. I guess I, the reason I keep bringing that up again, uh, we, we talked a little bit that these aren't mandatory programs. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, that's we, there's no, really no way for us to kind of hold people accountable for Absolutely. any of these things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we might be able to, and this is something I'm trying to figure out if I, if we can develop like some, some level of attendance clause, right. Sure. So it's like, Hey, you didn't show up to two out of the first five sessions. Yeah. We're just going to convert you to online. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah. But yeah, so you're at just, where you're at now and I'm sure it'll evolve even more so. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll keep refining them again. The, so fire prep actually, I was probably three weeks into starting this job when uh, we started fire prep. So that's right. you mentioned that. The, what I, the way, the, maybe the easiest way to summarize what it felt like for me, which was, yeah. uh, was, was that I felt like I was a recruit with the responsibilities of a chief. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so things, things were definitely moving fast. They I'm were, trying yeah. to learn all this terminology and I'm trying yeah. to develop this program as we go, but yeah. we're going to, we'll continue to kind of define it and, and revamp things. Love it. I think we're, we've already made uh, significant strides recently, I think with our, yeah. our latest offering and yeah. it's gotten better already. And I think we're really pleased with where it's at. Um, you, you mentioned exposure and it, and it just reminded me to point out that uh, we try to start these fire prep programs uh, I don't know, let's see, maybe five or six months, somewhere in the four to six month range before nice. the next drill school starts. Nice. Uh, and that's where it becomes beneficial to have, you know, uh, these individuals come in and do that fitness assessment. Yes. Cause then they can see this is where I'm at, where I need to be. And now you got time to yes. actually act on that and make yeah. a significant impact. Yeah. With again, the end goal of these are potential Seattle firefighters, what mm-hmm. can we do? They've yeah. made our hiring list, or at least they showed interest in our department. What can we do to help them be successful? So we're not looking six months down the road. They're four weeks into the academy. And it's like, we wanted this individual to work for us, but you know, they, they just, they were this close. If they only had a little more time in, it was like, well, that recruit prep and fire prep gave them that, that non-quantifiable time. Cause we can't measure on the back end. It's just, it, it allows that. And it's almost like we, you mentioned earlier, like, you save one recruit uh, position I mean, you can't quantify that, but you have to believe that you're saving two, three, four, five Academy, maybe more. Uh, it, that's just, 
it just is right. I, I put myself in those shoes, you know, and I struggled through the recruit Academy that I was in 15 and a half years ago. Like if I had it, it's like, I, I don't know. I would like to say that my verge of struggle would be a lot less, right. Just mm-hmm. because it's just, again, it's, it's all ownership. It's all self, you know, you know, you, you, you're, you're off of the resources. Are you going to take advantage? You mentioned uh, a little, you kind of touched on cost there just for a sec. So let me see what I can tell you what fire prep. Oh, sure. Oh, that's right. So maybe it, we can. Yeah. So that, so it flows well. Maybe yeah, you can no, yeah, I got you. I got you. I got... <laughs> Cause that's eight weeks. Yes. That's eight weeks. Yep. Okay. Eight weeks. So fire prep, eight weeks, five to six months out recruit prep is four weeks leading up to the next drill school just for a little mm-hmm. context there on where we were at as far as setting people up for the next drill school for Seattle fire. So, you know, earlier we touched on recruit prep, yes. you know, cost benefit of that program. Yeah. So, you know, what's, what's it look like maybe for fire prep? I'm sure yeah. that's worth maybe touch on, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Let's touch on that. Again, using what we mentioned earlier, which was, uh, you know, the, the cost to send one recruit prep, one recruit through drill school. Yeah. Uh, less than six figures, right? Yeah. The cost for recruit prep was 70, 75%. Yeah. The cost for fire prep, sorry, the cost for recruit prep was about 70 to 75% of the cost of the to cost, send yep. one recruit through drill school. 15 week drill school, right? 15 and a half week drill school. Okay. The cost for fire prep, which is a longer program, yep. is roughly 65 to 70% of okay. the cost to send one to person send one. through okay. drill school. So, okay. Uh, Got it. So far, the last couple of recruit, sorry, the last couple of fire prep classes we've had, uh, it ranges somewhere between 50 and 60 people who sign up for it. Okay. Got it. Um, again, attendance is not a hundred percent. It's yes. not where we want it to be, but we're yep. still capturing, you know, roughly 25, 35 people. Yeah. Uh, cool. coming in on a weekly basis and, and improving their baseline skill. Yep. Albeit yep. at, at a bit of an inconsistent basis, but yep. some, the majority are kind of actually consistent. Yeah. Um, so to me, it just, you know, you save one individual that goes through yeah. fire prep and recruit prep, yeah. you know, you're, I think the, you're ahead, you're way ahead. And yeah. then, and then again, um, I'll, I'll touch on this piece cause, cause we talked about it earlier is, is the, is the instructor cadre you got, I know it's another opportunity for eight weeks of extra instruction, if you will, for your instructor cadre, no matter where they're at in the rank or they're at in tenure and career more opportunities for them to grow their skill set as instructors, as teachers, and as mentors. Yeah. So more opportunities for, um, like we touched on, you know, the subliminal benefit, which yeah. is, you know, developing our future, yeah. future well, firefighters, future, number future one, firefighters, and, then yeah. our, and then our future leaders yeah. as, uh, as drill instructors. Yep. Um, I'll circle back a little bit and point out, you know, the folks that go through our fire prep program, yeah. They get a conditional offer and then they show up for recruit prep. Okay. They're already ahead, right? Cause they've already touched a ladder. They've already, yes. uh, you know, played with uh, power tools a little bit. They've already, yeah. um, you know, got hands on with host deployment, et cetera. Yeah. So now it becomes more. And what I do is I try to actually track that information. So, yeah. uh, you know, when I have a whole class of 50 people in recruit prep, 60 people, you know, and I create my five groups for each skill block, I'll try to bunch up all the people that were in fire prep. So that way my instructor cadre knows that I probably don't need to spend the extra five or 10 minutes of instruction with these individuals. Interesting. Good and point. we can just, we can just focus more on reps. Yeah. More reps. Yeah. And your ability to adapt based on 
the knowing of the attendance and knowing, you know, people that are involved. I mean, that's again, another huge benefit. It just. Yeah. And it changes the quality of reps that they're yeah, taking. Right. Exactly. So like yeah. in fire prep, it was more of, I'm getting reps to learn and I get a, an idea of what I'm doing here. But once they've kind of worked through that and they show up through crew prep, it's more of now I'm getting the reps to kind of fine tune some little things. But uh, with that, I'll also point out that, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's going to be whatever drill school is asking and demanding. So uh, when they end up getting to drill school, they still, we still educate them to know that you need to be adaptable. So when you arrive to that, uh, that stage, whatever your drill instructors are teaching you, you know, that's the skill level that you're going to, that's the way you're going to do the skill. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I, I guess as, uh, um, as expected. No, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all that. There's so much, uh, there's just so much good there that um, I mean, no, you, no, I mean, you're right. You're hitting it. Right. So there's, yeah. there's so much good to unpack from these programs. There's so much good to, yeah. to point out. And it's, yeah. it's funny because I really haven't figured out a way to, to uh, you know, summarize that in an elevator pitch yet <laughs> yeah no i know it does take time so, it does take time but uh, luckily definitely for loaded me, questions well luckily for me you and i've had a conversation i was able to visit you at the jtf the other day so the stuff that you're saying now this is the third time i'm hearing all this is like it's being reiterated in my mind so i kind of have an idea of what right. it is that you're doing what it is the seattle fire is doing what it is that's out there to help because as you know the the, the dei work that's being done in our region right as far as providing opportunities for people that we're hiring, give them more access, more opportunities to be successful. And this is just an idea, not just an idea. You guys are full on going, but it gives me an idea to see, you know, what, 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 what else can be done out there in, in the region, in the County? What else can our, our my fire, my fire department do? And it just gives me just an, an, an added uh, ability to mentor and find out what people are doing to develop our new people. So let's go to this piece because um, now that we've just unpacked so much about setting recruits up and setting up people to be, um, you know, firefighters physically, mentally, and, you know, we'll say, um, you know, for the job, mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about talking to people on how to be successful. So let's say you're talking to three groups of people. Let's say the first one is a new recruit specifically. Let's just say you're talking to someone that is about to get hired, about to go to recruit school, given, give something, cause our listeners will be some of those individuals. What's one thing that you would recommend you in your position as occupational uh, health and fitness coordinator, you being the lead of the recruit prep and fire prep programs and setting people up for success. Give a tip for a listener that's listening to this right now uh, for them to start doing to prepare for a career in the fire service. You might not like my answer. No, no, I, I do. Cause all answers are good answers because it's from your experience. It depends. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I don't like that answer. Give a, give a couple, just give a couple small things, like something that's like, you know what, I've noticed that people that are being hired are struggling with this, or, you know, people that are physically think they're physically fit. They're actually not. It's because they focus too much in one area, but they should be focusing on this something for someone okay. brand new, someone brand new. What's something that they could do? Okay. Um, I think about it. I can probably answer it for you. Okay. So, uh, take a one, for a minute. Yeah. If you, uh, if you never had exposure to a trade, start getting exposure to a trade. Oh, I love it. Right, because those are the things what? that are going to help. Okay. Uh, like you know, actually using hand tools if you haven't right before. There you go. Um, you know, those are the things that will transition over. You're going to be able to call back onto that baseline of skill. Yeah. So uh, if you haven't already, learn a trade. Get into a well-programmed routine of physical training. Okay. For that, you might have to reach out and and maybe collaborate with a strength and conditioning coach. 
or at least some type of resource in that in that uh, in that realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that way you can start kind of developing a good um, baseline of physical strength, but also a nice progression that is yeah. uh, hopefully going to be sustainable throughout your career and something that makes logical sense. Um, yeah. There's a difference from working out and a difference from uh, training, right? Maybe on face value, you can probably already see those differences. Training yeah. comes with an intent. Training yeah. comes with, here's our goal that's in mind, and we're trying to reach that goal. Here's our logical step to that goal. Workout is more of, maybe this is me being nitpicky too, but workout is more okay. of, all right, let's just put something together and let's just do something today. And then yeah. tomorrow we're going to do the same thing. And then the yeah. day after we're going to do the same thing, right? So it's just a lot of randomized stuff. And yeah. a, lot of, a lot of times I like to say that just random workouts create random results. And that's not yeah. what we're looking for, right? Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, so those would be two okay. somewhat summarized tips. No, I love that. I love there. that. Let me lean on that a little bit. So, um, and what I'm about to say, I'm, I, people are going to, you know, give me a hard time for saying it, but it, it's, just a, it's just a conversational piece. I love mm-hmm. how you said working out versus training, like, right. Working out is good. Like it, 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 it versus just not working out, obviously getting out there and just, you know, yeah, go today. I'm going to do weight, something. Right. Mm-hmm. But training is, is specific. There's a purpose and you're working towards something. So mm-hmm. let's just throw this out there. Um, let's say someone that comes in fit, right. Fit in quote unquote fit, say they do a bunch of CrossFit, for example, or they just like me, I just got done, uh, you know, playing basketball. Say I, uh, you know, I go out and play basketball three days a week. I, you know, I get my mm-hmm. butt kicked to play for an hour and a half. You know, I get a better workout playing an hour and a half basketball than doing anything else. Mm-hmm. But my point is, it's it's me out there playing basketball, someone doing CrossFit. It is specific, but it is a workout. When you talk about training, when you talk about someone that's specifically trying to get um, prepared for a drill school and or the first year of probation in the fire service, we're talking about movements to help them be successful in a career in the fire service, right? Because playing basketball doesn't relate to pulling hose, throwing ladders under stress with clothes that are way too big for me, right? Mm-hmm. Neither does necessarily CrossFit. Is there good that's going to benefit? Absolutely. But as you talk about when you say meet with strength and conditioning coach, are there things that recruits and people preparing to go to drill school, certain movements or certain types of training that they should be doing in your expert opinion? So maybe to some summarize, in the best possible way, uh, three areas, aerobic capacity, joint mobility, Ooh, and it. then also, um, physical strength. Okay. Those three kind of have to work collectively okay. to be able to do the job. Right. And we're also talking about a profession that, you know, some of the work you're doing is going to be limited based on the bottle that's on your back. Yes. Right. So yes. that's why I point out aerobic capacity, uh, mainly because it, well, you're, you're doing things that, you know, take several minutes, right? You're, yes. you're doing things that, you know, you do the one, one task and you go over and do this task, your level of intensity changes, right? Some, yeah. You know, some things get a little high intense and you got to come back and just kind of like catch your breath for a sec, but you're still moving. You're still doing stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so aerobic capacity is important for, you know, improving our heart rate recovery, improving for our, uh, really our, just our, ability to use oxygen as energy yeah. efficient efficiently. Yeah. And so for me, that makes a whole lot of sense. Cause again, you have a cylinder on your back that is limited mm-hmm. uh, with, with, with oxygen. So you Where want to be able got. to use that yeah. as efficiently and as effectively as possible. Yeah. Of course you do come out and switch your bottle. Right. So, yeah. um, physical it. strength is definitely very important. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how yeah. most of the things you probably grab aren't very light. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, 
So, you know, being able to pick up heavy, heavy objects multiple yeah. times, yeah. Uh, move heavy objects, yeah. uh, move objects that are, again, heavy, but with friction, right? Mm -hmm. So talking mm -hmm. about like, you know, moving hose and all that stuff. And then with that, it's a good segue into just, you know, being able to get in the right positions to do that. Um, yep. Great. You know, if you're, you aren't able to move efficiently and effectively, your in risk of injury will definitely, you know, yeah. increase. Increase, right? <clears throat> and none of us are are any good when we're not, you know, your your best abilities or not just your availability, but your dependability, right? If you're not there, it doesn't matter how good you are at your job, how strong you are, because you got to be available. So, awesome. yeah, and that and that ties into you know a quote that's used in my field a lot, which is. Granted, it's it's more suited for like the athlete, right? But the 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 athlete's best ability is availability. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you gotta be you gotta be there. You gotta be available. You gotta be able to perform. Um, your skill set is no good on the sideline, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. So um, let's talk to the next piece now. Those are preparing for the job, right? Let's talk to let's just say aspire. Let's say people that have been in the job five, ten years. These could be company officers. It could be aspiring company officers. These are individuals that are obviously physically capable to do the mm -hmm. job, mm -hmm. um, but but let's talk about prolonging, if you will, their physical wellness or health and wellness uh, from the physical and occupational standpoint of your profession, you mm -hmm. working with individuals that have been in the job that, you know, they're already, we know that they can do the job physically, right? They've been there, mm -hmm. but yeah. what's, a, what's a tip that they, you would provide for them to either continue their physical health and wellness or something that they should be focused on to be able to ensure that they continue to do this job physically well for the next 25 years. So maybe I'll tie this into what you have here on the, the yeah. sheet. Yes. Which is non-negotiable. There item. you go. There you go. The non-negotiable. Yes. I honestly thought I was going to have to tell you it depends again. Yeah. 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 I <laughs> but uh, I did think about it a little bit and I would say the non-negotiable item for that specific yes. topic is yes. having a plan for maintenance and stress management. Oh, and so for, for maintenance, I'm just talking about um, recovery. Yep. Right. Okay. And for stress management, I'm not talking about like, you know, how do you cool down? I guess maybe a little bit. Um, yeah. I'm talking more of just how do you manage the physical and mental stress that this occupation throws at you? Okay. Um, and I bring that up because I think this is a, it's a population that throws a lot of stimulus our way mm -hmm. or your way. Yeah. Um, and so with that, your sympathetic nervous system is definitely going to be. Yeah. Good shot. Yeah. Right. And that's our fight or flight nervous system. So that's yeah. the one that's constantly just like on. But if we aren't finding a way to get back into our or to tap into parasympathetic, which is, yeah. you know, kind of rest and digest. Yep. Um, we're just going to be our, our on switch is just going to be on the whole time. Right. And yeah. then because it's just switched on for so long, uh, you know, your body just kind of responds to that. Right. Yeah. So yeah. our, you know, stress levels are definitely up there. Yeah. Uh, we're not really finding a way to kind of relax and unwind and yeah, decompress. No yeah. Um, so uh, those are the two things that really tap into, um, you know, being able to do this job for a long time, right? This yeah. is, although, although I, I hear a lot of comparisons of, you know, this is industrial athlete type of sport, right? This is a sport. This is an athletic type of population, right? All those types yeah. of things that I keep hearing. The difference to me is, you know, athlete usually has a, somewhat of a shelf life for their career. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. if we were talking about a college setting, that's roughly four years before exactly. they move on to the next stage or whatever it is. Yep. But firefighting, we're talking long, you know, 10, 20, if they're yeah. that young, maybe 30 years. Right. Yeah, right. So this is a long career. Yeah. And in yeah. between all that, there's still life that's happening. Exactly. 
it's not just, you know, you're focusing on your, you know, football career or college career, let's say for four years. And so you dive, you know, 90% of your resources to that. You're not, you don't, you don't have kids. You don't have a family. You're just, you don't necessarily have a full-time job. Um, but yeah. So let's, let's, uh, let me lean on that a little bit more. So when you talk about recovery, stress management, provide, let's be a little more specific if you can, well, g- give a tip on how do we do that? What's something that we could be doing on, you know, I just got off, let's just say I got off for four days. Um, you know, I worked my one first shift. I was off for a couple, worked on a second shift. And I was off for four, I'm off for four now. I, you know, got my butt kicked. We ran, you know, 15 calls each shift, ran a couple, you know, fires, we'll say, we'll say we're up both nights. Um, and you know, I need the four days to recover. So give a tip on stress management, give a tip on recovery. Yeah. So for stress management, I guess for both, let's say you're an individual that is actually following a good physical fitness plan, right? Yeah. A whole periodized strength and conditioning program. Uh, one, if you're on shift, I like to think, um, you're probably not going to want to do high intense physical activity. Sure. So that way you're fatiguing you know, uh, your central nervous system, basically, right. You're, you're physically, you're kind of physically fatiguing yourself so that way you're not hundred percent fresh mm-hmm. if an important call comes in. Right. So if you are on shift, um, to me, what makes sense is to do, uh, some, a lower intense level of physical activity. That's probably going to tap into parasympathetic nervous system mm-hmm. a little bit, which could be things like a yoga or like a, sure. you know, just 20, 30 minutes, you know, on the treadmill, Yep. Uh, maybe emphasizing nose breathing so that way your heart rate isn't really skyrocketing. It's just kind of staying in the realm yep. that we want it to stay in. Yep. So that'll be like on shift, right? But let's say you do that again, you get all these calls, you, you're, you're constantly calls are coming in throughout the night. Your next day, you're probably not feeling so hot. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So that's probably a day where it's, it's probably not ideal to do maybe some high intensity sprint work or some high intensity lifting. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably a good day for you to just maybe take a, day take a nap or, or yeah. go sleep. Right. Yeah, right. Also a day where you can do exactly what you just did on shift, maybe a little bit of yoga, maybe a little bit of, um, you know, um, lower intensity cardio, go yeah. for a walk, yeah. you know, run some errands around town, just kind of yeah. unwind, decompress, unplug from work a little bit. Yeah. Second day after work, let's say this is the two days in between. Yeah that's probably a day you can maybe get after it a little bit, depending okay. on how fresh you feel that day. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's where you'll uh, maybe get into your, your weightlifting a little bit more. Um, and then, you know, you're back on shift, you know, you got your four days off following that. Yeah. Um, you can kind of see the reoccurring trend there, right. With those yeah. four days off, that's where you'll kind of place in the right and in, in the right timing. Uh, you know, some higher intensity strength days yeah. or the higher intensity um, intervals, whatever it is that you want to do those yeah. days. I love that. I mean, I, you just made me think of something, right? And I, I actually have a, a, a physical fitness background as well. Um, but, you know, I, 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 it's always good to hear more uh, another perspective or just not more experience just because I, I just thought of it like this. It's almost like, you know, because I've done not high, high intensity, but I've done some high intensity stuff on shift. But mm-hmm. it's almost like focus on lower intensity, you know, um, and then if you're busy, that was your game day. You know, if you, you ran a fire, you ran four game calls, day. That, that's Absolutely. your game day. And yep. what do you do after after game day, after you've just given all your all, you left it out there all in the field, you don't go out and do another game day the very next day, right? There's mm-hmm. no there's no double headers in the NFL. It's uh it's 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 so that next day should be your rest day. So instead of my first day off, you know, get off shift and instead of okay, I got my four day off, instead of that first day, be like I got I gotta go do high intensity. No, it's still your lower intensity rest. And then maybe that second day of your day off is now your, if you want, 
another competition day or another game day, another high intensity lift. I love that. Right. And to your point, there definitely isn't no double header, right. In the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in this field, there, there can are be 48s. There are. Yeah. Right? There are, in 72s, there are, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, or, you, you know, people to. picking up overtime for, yeah. you know, which again, you know, do what you got to do. If, do if, you, if, yeah. if you got to do it or whatever it right. is. Right. But yeah. I think that goes back into my earlier point, which is having a plan for maintenance, which yeah, is, I love it. You know, if you're constantly working 48s and not really yes. recovering, right. You're putting more out than you are uh, yes. trying, uh, getting back. Um, it's gonna, yeah, it's, it's going to catch up. It's going to catch up. You're not, it's not, up that's your not body. my opinion. That's yeah. not even my opinion at that point. It's going to no, catch up. <laughs> it's biological, right? It's physiological. Yeah. It's biological. Your body's not going to go 30 years like right. that. Right. It's not awesome. Thank you for that. So or now it the, could, it could go to 30 years, but what are we, what are we looking at post-retirement? What now, kind right? of quality of 30 years plus after? Yeah. Exactly. First off, first off the quality and the longevity of yeah. the career of the 30 yes. years. But yeah, now we're getting into, you know, how, how you're going to be able to enjoy retirement. Exactly. No, it's a good um, point. Good so point. yeah, I think just having that in mind, uh, having yeah. a plan and just being mindful of like, you know, all right, I already worked to 48 this month or I don't yeah. know exactly me. Yeah. Right. But, you know, just knowing that you just kind of paying attention to the, to the amount of stimulus you're having throughout the yeah. weeks and throughout the months. Yeah. I think having that type of plan is going to help yeah. uh, for, for career longevity significantly. Yeah. All right. The final piece here. And I know you've interacted with chiefs, Right. I met Chiefs Goggins earlier. I know you've interacted with, you know, battalion chiefs and division chiefs as well. What's something mm-hmm. that the upper management can do, right? This could be battalion chief or hire. It could be administrators, whether it be just literally uh, helping build programs within our fire departments, whether they're just advocates for our operations or training personnel. But what's something that you would recommend maybe upper management uh, administrators or supervisors that they can do to help foster an environment for, you know, health and fitness in our stations to our members? or something that they could even do for themselves in the positions that they're at, because they're obviously not really running calls anymore, but basically Mm -hmm. your opinion for those upper management individuals, chief levels and higher to start doing, to help embrace occupational health and fitness for firefighters. So I think the two areas I'd point out is one, yes, being an advocate, but also being a champion for it. Ooh, champion. Love it. Uh, Elaborate Um, a little, elaborate a little. So I okay. love it. I, I, kind of, I kind of see what you're saying. Not, not just be like, Hey, go for it, but let's, let's be champions about it. Let's, let's, let's walk, you know, walk, let's walk, walk the talk. Like, let's <laughs> not just be it, but here I'll lead by example, model behavior. Let's, let's do it. Um, I'm glad you filled it in a little bit there. Cause I honestly wasn't ready for the follow-up question. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> but I know, yes, but yeah. yes, uh, champion it as in being able to walk the walk and being able yeah. to kind of lead by example. Right. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, constantly pushing the message, whatever that message is. Yes. Um, I think it's, I've seen several and and I'm not just pointing at the fire service right now. I'm talking even, you know, my time working with the military. Um, I've seen several leaders just be advocates for it, but for good reason, which is their job at at that level is very demanding. Right. Yeah. They got other things in their way that um, end up becoming priorities, which is always ironic, right? Health and fitness, health and wellness is always, uh, is definitely a priority in these lines of work. Right. But it, it quickly becomes an afterthought. I was right? say, so, but how priority? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, so, yeah, definitely being an advocate and a champion for it. Um, and then that segues into being involved, being involved with, a, with the development of yeah. whatever the uh, program or development of the idea 
yeah whatever because whatever that whatever that end end game is for that idea yeah is just being yeah. a lot involved throughout the whole process yeah i think that and i i think i point that out because it helps anchor whatever yeah. it is you're trying to put in a place yeah yeah absolutely the support from above you know because there's times where the lower ranking individuals have great ideas but you know without the support from above cannot fully bring something into fruition without the fully full support so I love that piece. Thank you. Yeah. And as you develop everything, you know, um, to me, I would always do it in the, in the mindset of how do we get it to, you know, last, how do we, how do we get it to be sustainable? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Long-term sustainability is what we're looking for. No program, a program is only as effective as, you know, the one that's in place, right? If it's here and gone in the six months, what good did it do? Right. Um, So thank you for that because it's about tangible items, something that we could start doing here. Um, I mentioned earlier that we're here today because Chief Scoggins, as well as Chief Goins, uh, reached out or didn't reach out, but we're having conversations. Say, hey, go talk to man. He he he's, he heads up all this, so it's awesome. <laughs> okay. We call it the leadership challenge, and the leadership right. challenge is basically some, uh, a point in this show, which is right now, where you know it helps us continue the, the the conversation. Right, this is a leadership conversation, is all it is. It's to help get people to listen in, tune in from wherever they're at. Doesn't matter what rank they're at. Doesn't matter their tenure. They tune in and they listen to a message from our leaders and they help spread the conversation. So with that, to continue to spread it, we ask every individual to challenge someone out there. It could be anyone in any industry. It could be a fire service leader or not. It could be any rank, any tenure. Is there someone out there that you believe has a message, a leadership message, philosophy, or a story, something that you think that our listeners can benefit from by being a guest here on the kitchen table? Absolutely, I do. You do. And nice. I'd, uh, selfishly, I like for you to, well, I should say selfishly, I like to see that the conversation of health and fitness, human performance, yeah, all those things continue yeah, on absolutely. this podcast. So uh, I'm actually going to give you two individuals oh, that awesome. I, I hope could be on this podcast at some That's point. Awesome. awesome. Uh, first one being uh, Dr. Mark Abel. He's a professor. Uh, at University of Kentucky. Ah, wow. Okay. A lot of a lot of his work focuses on uh, the development of legally defensible physical ability standards for fire departments and law enforcement agencies. Oh, wow. He's done quite a bit of research that I've read through uh, when I was in grad school, trying to prepare for this role here. Yeah. Um, I think he would have plenty to share. I bet. I on bet this, he would. On this podcast. Wow. In a similar boat maybe slightly different focus on, um, you know, study what he's, what he's uh, researching is uh, Dr. Jay Dawes at uh, Oklahoma State University. Okay. Dr. Jay Dawes and Dr. Mark Abel. First of all, thank you for that. I mentioned the, the challenge and the conversation only continues and helps grow leaders in the fire service. Cause I'd say about 80% of our listener base is fire service, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. We can gather listeners from all the industries better for all of us. Um, but what I'll do is I'll, I'll gather the contact information for both Dr. Abel and Dr. Dawes from you uh, through an email. So we're not just on here yeah. talking about someone's email address. Uh, Sorry. And I'll reach out to them and let them know that they've been leadership challenged by Manny Romero with Seattle Fire Department um, <laughs> to help us continue the leadership conversation. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I, I hope it really shocks them because I haven't <laughs> really 
talk to them in a little while. But, oh, trust uh, me. We've had uh, some weird ones, not weird ones. They're like, Oh my gosh, I haven't heard from that person in years. And uh, of course they would, they would call me out. And so, and we've had them on there. We've gone all the way East coast and it's, it's, it's random, but it's good. It's good for the fire service. It's good for leadership and it's good for the industry. So let's I'll go with out, that. Yeah. Go I'll point it. out that there's probably potentially for, for listeners. Uh, there's definitely more individuals I can definitely, yes, you know, I bet. Uh, single out. Uh, so <laughs> I apologize if I didn't single you out and you felt like oh, I needed to. Well, what's funny about that. We had an individual, uh, uh chief Esquiso out of New Jersey on the show. And when I asked him about the leadership challenge, he literally named 20 people. He lamed it. Brrr, and then like, yeah. he goes, you know what? I feel bad because, uh, he left, he's like, I left 20 of them that I could have said, but I didn't. He's just, mm-hmm. you know, Pandora's box. So, so trust me, had you gone down the list, you wouldn't have been the only one. Um, but the cool thing is, is uh, it's never too late. So maybe later on down the road, uh, you know, either Dr. Abel or Dr. Dawes uh, further, further the conversation or you and I can have another I'm sure conversation. Th- I'm sure they'll help further the conversation. Yeah. And I'm also going to go ahead and give you a third name, uh, Annette awesome. Zapp. So- Annette Zapp. I know Annette Zapp. And I only know her because uh, I got this email. She was at an NSCA conference. (laughs) I reached out to her. I know she has a podcast. I know she's in a – because she is a firefighter, yes? Correct. She is. And so – Our lieutenant. Our lieutenant. lieutenant. Tell me very briefly about Annette Zapp because I know only very briefly. She's – I have to do – I have to respond to her in an email, and she's probably going to – already deleted my email because this was probably eight weeks ago that I reached out to her, and I haven't responded she has a podcast as well, uh, that's Fire right. Rescue Wellness. That's that's right. That's right. Okay. Um, okay. So she brings on a lot of individuals on that podcast, talks about all things uh, health and wellness related uh, for the fire service. Um, a lot of good conversations have happened awesome. uh, with those with those individuals. Um, she's really a, a big time advocate in my book for, um, you know, progressing the field specific to the fire surface, um, and, and doing it the right way. Perfect. Um, so that's awesome. Uh, I guess I can also point out that any of my lead instructors that you met for recruit yes. are probably worth. And I'm going to, and I'm going to reach out to, um, again, get his name, Con Ted Con. Firefighter, uh, Ted Condon. Ted Condon. I want to say Con Lee Condon. He's the individual that I want to touch base with. He was a phenomenal, uh, 30 minutes I spent just speaking with him on the side. He just seemed like a very passionate individual with, with mm-hmm. and he comes from you know Wisconsin too, so he brings an outside perspective. Seattle Fire, he's an instructor, yeah. he's passionate, he's engaged, so I love it. So absolutely, yeah. And uh, I know you met uh, firefighter Travis K as well. Yes. He's another good, great individual, another yeah. intelligent mind to uh, I think uh, so, pick his brain on. Sounds like <laughs> or, there's two more challenges I just heard right there. So uh, so we'll yeah. reach- <laughs> so we're at the four now. So yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, I will uh, tell you what. I will gather four contact infos from you because I would love to have the conversation with those two individuals as well. Um, so why don't we go with this? We unpacked so much today and out of respect for time, I don't want to keep you all day. Uh, all how right. about this? Lasting leadership thoughts. Is there anything you would like to leave our listeners, something we did not unpack or a message or some phrase, philosophy, a book, a podcast, something that you want to leave our listeners with uh, before we close today on the kitchen table? Well, one, I'll uh, pass along my contact information to you. Yes. Uh, so that way it's going to be made available to listeners. Absolutely. Should, you know, anybody have any um, questions or follow-up yes. comments or just follow-up discussions, happy to have it, happy yes. to help in any way I can. Please. Um, if there's something you're doing that maybe we should be doing, feel Absolutely. free to let us know that too. We will. We um, will. But to, I guess, go back to your original question, I'd say that 
If uh, any fire departments have uh, been influenced by the program that we talked about today or are influenced into looking more into building a health and wellness program for their own departments, um, one, again, reach out to me, happy to help out in any way I can. But the big thing I'd point out is you're going to want to bring in somebody who's a, who's a dedicated civilian, right. who's also culturally competent of the fire service, uh, has the right credentials, has the right background for human performance to oversee some of those efforts. So um, I think that's kind of the best way to go about it if yep. that's uh, something you're looking for. No, first of all, thank you so much because the collaboration, we always talk about networking and communication on this show because the fire service, I'm sure law enforcement, the military, and a lot of industries alike, we talk about the, the connections and this connection that you and I have made through the connection with Chief Scoggins and Chief uh, of Goins, the fact that we're here today doing a podcast, the fact that you're enlightening myself and our listeners about programs of Seattle Fire has seen success in helping our recruits be more successful. The fact that we're even having this conversation is awesome. The fact yeah. that, you know, we were going to be able to bounce ideas back and forth. Um, I will definitely keep you apprised on anything that we start either in my department or in the South end of the County or even the North end of the County. And we will just continue to have to, cause at the end of the day, if, if, if uh, our region's better when Seattle's better, our region's better when my department's better, we all become mm-hmm. better when we share Absolutely. information and mm-hmm. when we raise each other's bar, if you will, so thank you for that. And I will definitely keep you apprised uh, with all the above. And I love how you said the culturally competent. We've heard that both with DEI work and I've heard it with um, uh, the psychology uh, piece of it as well. And the, uh, uh, the therapy piece is like culturally competent providers to be able to assist us in what we're doing. And when mm-hmm. you talk about the physical and health and uh, the, the health and fitness portion of this, we're not, we're talking about having culturally competent individuals, not just competent, right? We need individuals that, are culturally aware of what it is that we're doing, not just an expert in the field, but in the field that we're talking as the fire service. So thank you for that. It's a reminder, but it's also a message to all of us. I'll quickly point out, I apologize that I left out law enforcement with that statement. No, absolutely. Law enforcement. And we'll (laughs) be talking about it. Yeah. yeah, Law enforcement, military, police, and, you know, and many more alike. So let's close. And then uh, we could talk on the side. Thank you so much, everybody for tuning in today to the kitchen table. We truly hope that you found this time valuable, and we hope that we've inspired you to take action, to lead, and to spread the leadership conversation. Until next time, be safe, be intentional, and stay curious.